You're listening to the Terror of the Woods podcast, where every question is a great question. I am your host, Star Strazabosco. Get your critical thinking caps on because we are seeking truth in a world where we are drowning in information, but starved for knowledge. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist, a cardiologist. I'm trained in epidemiology. I'm in academic practice in Dallas, Texas at a major medical center and um, editor of a major journal, former editor of an international journal. Um, I'm the editor-in-chief of the major textbook in my field, which is the heart and kidney interactions, what's called cardiorenal medicine. But for the last two years now, I've been laser focused on COVID-19. Uh, I've made considerable contributions in the field. I have over 51 publications in COVID-19, over 60, uh, 650 overall in the National Library of Medicine that's in the upper echelon, I think, of anybody in the media at this point in time. And uh, importantly, I've been relied upon for my opinions in a regular uh, series in The Hill last year, now in America Out Loud Talk Radio, I've uh, testified in the U.S. Senate, multiple state senates, mainly uh, because our country needs scientific expertise on the clinical data that's coming out with COVID-19, uh, especially on the advances that we've had on early outpatient treatment and prevention to stop these hospitalizations and deaths. And we've made massive progress there. And most recently on vaccine safety and efficacy, because as you pointed out through the course of the pandemic, what's occurred is through all this fear and isolation and uh, separation and, and, the, and the hospitalization and the deaths we've seen in our family and social circles, uh, what's set in on uh, people in America and all over the world is what's called a mass formation psychosis. And that is a term now that's understood where it's a contagious form of thinking. And this contagious form of thinking spreads from person to person. And uh, it basically begins to have uh, a disorder to it. So there's disordered thinking. So the disordered thinking at this point in time is settled on a, a few separate uh, concepts. One is on masks because of the messaging on masks has been so consistent and masks are a visible thing that masks basically as part of the mass formation psychosis now are a representation of something other than contagion control. They weren't basically effective in contagion control, but now people wearing masks or not wearing masks become a visible sign of something. Um, and some, uh, some believe it's a sign of fearfulness. Uh, it's a sign of um, uh, despair or despondency. Others believe it as a sign of patriotism, that one is trying to protect others if they wear a mask. All of this is kind of delusional, disordered thinking in that um, uh, to go free from masks, honestly, is, is really a part of the pathway to health. But most of the mass formation psychosis now is based on vaccination. This is the first time that we've had vaccination become part of this. And, and we, you know, we have over 70 vaccines on the US market. Uh, we, we've relied upon for vaccines primarily to uh, prevent the reoccurrence of disease once it's been eliminated, like polio and mumps, et cetera. Um, uh, but we don't use vaccination to actually try to quell a prevalent problem in an outbreak. We've never done this. Uh, vaccination can be seasonal or periodic in targeted populations. The best example is the influenza vaccine in the elderly or in healthcare workers to protect the healthcare workers. And then the pneumococcal vaccine in, in the elderly. Those would be examples. 
Um, but what's happened with the global vaccine program is uh, there are many historical firsts. So this is the first time we've tried to vaccinate the entire world at the same time. Uh, this is the first time that we've tried to vaccinate everybody right into uh, a periodic um, outbreaking, highly prevalent pandemics. That's never done, been done before. And then lastly, uh, what's never been done before in, uh, in all of human medicine is to use gene transfer technologies and so we're actually trying to transfer genetic information into cells that code for a protein. And that protein is a protein that's the spike, the spine on the ball of the virus, that it itself has been genetically manipulated in a virology lab in Wuhan, China, uh, with the assistance of the United States and the Chinese. So what's going on with respect to the biology of the vaccine is really the the, the most uh, kind of scientific fiction, if you will. It's almost like a storyline you'd see in a movie, but it's happening in real time. And sadly, what we're finding out the vaccines uh, is that they're failing greatly in having any impact on the pandemic and they have uh, tremendous concerns on safety. Right, and, and you've talked about how there's no safety report that's come out on the vaccines either. There's been no report whatsoever on safety. And I think everyone should be alarmed at this because all the other programs, all the other products that we have and use in our lives have safety reports. And even the clinical trials in development, when the vaccines were developed, they had data safety monitor boards, clinical event committees. But now when they're released into the population, there's no regard with respect to safety at all. In fact, the vaccines are being used on untested populations like pregnant women, women at childbearing potential, those who are COVID recovered. And without any safety uh, measures in place, the, the program has been a disaster. We've had over 18,000 people uh, certified and reported dead in the US CDC VAERS system. About half of those are, are domestic. We know now that the deaths occur, about half occur within 48 hours of taking the vaccine, 80% within a week. Two good analyses, one by Rose and McLachlan have shown that this early warning system has failed to warn people. People are still taking the vaccine right. with the immediate right. risk of death. And so as you can imagine, the word got out on death basically in mid-April, rates of vaccination plummeted in the United States and plummeted worldwide. From April forward, the only people taking the vaccine in a sense felt forced into it and sadly, people have been forced to take a vaccine and, and, and you know, by the thousands, they've died. Right. And we typically, we get five deaths with a product. We get a black box warning, 50 deaths is off the market. There's no tolerance for more right. than 50 deaths right. in our country with any product. So how is this being ignored by your colleagues and, and the medical field? Why, why is it that they are so dead set on just reading and reviewing something the AMA pumps out? Um, as opposed to really researching, because it doesn't take much for me to just go online and find some of these uh, New England, you know, Journal of Medicine uh, studies on ivermectin, um, fluvoxamine, I think is another one that they actually have have found very useful. Um, I think it treats PTSD. Um, what What is it? Why is it that these doctors will not just go one step like I have to go look at these research reports? Are they just scared of getting their licenses taken away and being you know stripped of their titles? No, I, you know, people have asked that question. So do the doctors really and are they complicit 
in basically uh, worsening the pandemic by denying treatment to patients and then encouraging the vaccine and then having patients die or be injured after the vaccine. I can tell you, if doctors actually knew the right thing to do, you would hear chatter. You'd hear the doctors emailing and talking about this and they would feel terrible about it. And there'd be a lot of conversations. And I can tell you right now, that's not happening. Uh, we have basically a million doctors in the United States. Only 500 doctors know what's going on. There are a million doctors who truly believe as part of this mass formation psychosis that there's no treatment for COVID-19. Even the EUA monoclonal antibodies are not used. So these doctors are completely in a trance. They do not think COVID-19 is treatable. So therefore they don't treat patients at all. Patients call, they're desperate for treatment at home. The doctors say, no, there's no treatment. They don't even offer the monoclonal antibodies. Right. The poor patients ultimately get to the point where they can't breathe anymore. Then they come in the hospital. The doctors in the hospital also don't think COVID-19 is treatable. So they offer very minimalistic treatments, you know, um, remdesivir or, right. or just an odd dose of dexamethasone. The hospital outcomes are horrible. Uh, we know uh, from two contemporary studies, one's called the steroid two trial, where patients were in the ICU, but well enough to consent into a clinical trial, the 28 day mortality was 30%. Wow. The stop COVID uh, database program from the Brigham Women's Hospital, the ICU contemporary mortality rate at 28 days is still 30%. What, there's no disease that even, even you know, ICU sepsis mortality is 20%. Mortality rate yeah, in acute myocardial sepsis. I looked that up early on in this whole right. thing. <laughs> right. So even acute myocardial infarction in my field, yeah. For ST segment elevation myocardial infarction, the mortality rate's 2%. You know, this 30% mortality is absolutely horrifying. But what we're finding out is the hospitalizations and deaths, which are avoidable. I testified to America November 2020 that at that point in time, based on the advances that we've made in the clinical science of COVID-19, that 50% of the deaths would have been avoidable with proper treatment. You know, by the time I testified in the Texas Senate March of 2021, that number was up to 85% of the deaths would have been completely avoidable. Right, uh, right. If honestly, if people uh, like myself or in my circles were running the public health response in the United States. And so we've seen just a tragic avoidable loss of life, but this is further fueled this mass formation psychosis which is completely settled in on the vaccine now. This is very important. So this disordered thought that's in the minds of doctors, nurse practitioners, um, other healthcare personnel, corporate boardroom members, travel agencies, school administrators, it's in their minds that the population will be saved by a vaccine. And it doesn't even matter which one. Yeah. The mass psychosis is interesting. You know, you know, with three vaccines, of course, there's a winner, there's a, a middle, and there's a loser. But, but in the mass psychosis, it's such a disordered type of thinking that it doesn't even matter which one. It's just the act of taking yeah. a shot, any shot. Well, what we know now from, uh, there are a whole variety of outcome studies now. They've all poured in in the last uh, two months. Uh, about, about how the vaccines are doing. There is a winner. The winner is Moderna. Right. Moderna right. is 100 micrograms of messenger RNA. Every single analysis that I'm aware of, it has the greatest protection against hospitalization and death. In the middle is Pfizer at 30 micrograms of messenger RNA. And then the loser is Johnson & Johnson. But in the mass psychosis, it basically doesn't matter. It doesn't matter 
uh, uh, which vaccine you take, because again, it's not a rational type of thing, right? A right. psychosis. And most is not people don't even know that there's a difference. They just know they need a COVID-19 uh, shot. I know, but these are, these are published analyses. Right. So do doctors are part of the mass psychosis. And you know, most doctors, they'll just say, listen, take a vaccine, take any vaccine. Right. So this right. disordered thinking is in the minds of analytic doctors. It's in the minds of analytic board directors. I, you know, I've had some board directors call me about this. I said, don't you actually, if you're going to mandate a vaccine, don't, don't you want to mandate the winner? Right. Yeah, and then exactly. They just, they, they just look at me with a blank stare. You can tell that their minds are basically mush. Right. They have, right. they have, they have no compass whatsoever. And so what's happened is with the vaccines programs, the short uh, digestion of efficacy is when the vaccines came out, if we look at the data now in the rear view mirror with the um, wild type, the alpha, beta, uh, and, and some gamma variants, there was some benefit with the vaccines. They did have some protection against hospitalization and death. Hospitalization shown in a paper by the CDC by self and colleagues in the MMWR. Now, these papers are heavily flawed because people who take the vaccine also have other health interests right. and health measures. Right. Yeah. They're also far more um, adept at avoiding COVID-19 than those who don't take the vaccine. So it's a totally, it's a very much a socio, socio-demographic confounding, but I'd say biologically, the vaccines did have some modest benefit. And then we have a paper by uh, 1040 and then another one by Cone. Cone is the uh, biggest one. That was from the VA, okay. 700,000 individuals that showed through, I want to say about six months early in the pandemic, there was protection against mortality. Now, uh, interesting, again, those veterans who took the vaccines, they were, they were less likely to die of other causes, even if they didn't get COVID. So we know the mortality benefit is kind of baked in with what's called selection bias. But I want to say there was about a one or 2% benefit with taking a vaccine, one right. or 2% right. absolute benefit, which actually matches uh, the absolute risk reduction that we saw from the registrational trials, which was less than 1% absolute risk reduction. But importantly, in the cone analysis, all the protection fell off a cliff by September. So in September, September of this year, something important happened. The vast majority of those took the vaccine hit a six month anniversary. And by that time, we know now there's 22 studies that show that by six months, the vaccines are out of gas. They don't have, they don't provide any protection. The other thing that happened in September is we had the full shading in of the Delta variant and the Delta variant. Now the most mutated uh, form of the virus is highly resistant to the vaccines. I think very resistant, by the way, to Pfizer right. and J&J. Which means it can morph into something even worse. It could, although I don't think it will because the Delta variant is so successful among the, the, um, the vaccinated, why would it change? So we know now in Israel, over 90%, everyone, you know, everywhere it's Delta now right. is a dominant right. variant. Israel is over 90% of people with COVID in the hospital and dying have Delta. In the UK from the 46 uh, uh, UK Public Health Service report, is far more than 80% of those who are dying are fully vaccinated. We have data now who, those who receive the booster, it doesn't matter, right. uh, they will right. die. In the United States, we'll see this transition to the majority of individuals who are you know, basically contracting COVID, hospitalized and dying will be those who are vaccinated. Why? Because we're approaching 70% of the general population vaccinated. We have 80% of seniors vaccinated. And we know now that a large fraction of those unvaccinated, they've already had COVID. Right, so they're right. already naturally immune. And now our CDC acknowledges 
that once somebody's recovered from COVID, they can't get it again and pass it to anybody. We knew this from the beginning. Yeah. The natural immunity is robust, complete, and durable. So listen, there's nowhere to hide now. So that we will see basically cases that continue to move along in the vaccinated population and those in who are in as part of this mass psychosis. The question is, how far is this going to go? Right. Is the vaccine program going to continue to be administered over and over again and just have COVID keep rolling? Because we're starting a next major wave of Delta now. And this will be a wave. Sadly, this wave, I predict, will be a wave back in the, the seniors. It's, we're now to the winter time. The seniors are effectively unprepared protected by the failing vaccines. Right. And we always forget that there's a 99.7% chance of survival from COVID-19, right? And does that, is that also true for the dare, or variant, the Delta variant? You know, it's true. I personally have faced a lot of Delta. I've treated, uh, I have a tremendous treatment experience, either directly treating my patients and certainly advising on cases all over the world. And I tell you, my comments on Delta is, is clearly more infectious. It spreads within family units like wildfire. Uh, the other thing is I found it more difficult to treat. Yeah. We, I, me and my, my husband and my mother had it and my father and my stepmother all had it at the same time. And it was, it was miserable, but we got through it. And uh, I, I feel like a superhuman now that I've gotten through it, you know, like I, I can take anything on because that was the craziest flu that I've ever had. I mean, mentally, I, I had to keep the house together. We got two small children. You know, my husband's thinking that he's going to die and that he's not going to be able to work ever again. My mom thinks she needs to kill the dog because she can't afford the dog anymore. I mean, it was that bad. Well, we know now that the reason why you feel so funny, you know, a typical flu is in and out of your body in a few days. Right. We know now that the spike protein from the respiratory illness, the S1 segment is, can be found in CD16 monocytes up to 15 months after the respiratory infection. That news was broken by lead pathologist, um, Bruce Patterson in a July 29th preprint publication he presented to the world in September. And now this uh, right now, it's on America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report. I interviewed Bruce Patterson, and he revealed the data from the vaccinated. And the vaccinated now actually uh, can, can be found both segments, the S1 and the S2 segment, uh, recovered months after vaccination. So now we have a problem because we know the S2 segment of the, the, the spike proteins divide in two segments. Mm -hmm. We know the S2 segment actually does have some pathogenicity to it. It does interact with the P53 and the BRCA cancer genes. Right. So this is yes. extremely worrisome. This is uh, extremely worrisome because with shot one and shot two now, we conceivably could have 15 months of time to clear this stuff out of the body. Now with the immunocompromise, they get a shot three a month later. Now we got three shots, 15 months, 15 months, 15 months. Yeah. And then once we start taking on boosters, we'll never clear out the Wuhan spike protein from the human body. I can tell you everything I've learned about the spike protein since the release of the vaccines is bad. It damages red blood cells, it damages blood vessels, it damages heart muscle cells, pericytes and other supporting cells. Uh, it goes into the brain, heart, bone yes, marrow. Yes. It causes certain hematologic diseases like vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpurea. What we know about this spike protein is a biological wrecking machine, and we're loading the human body with the spike protein with these regular periodic injections. I've been on national TV on Australia where it was revealed that the Australians have already purchased 14 doses per person, seven right. years 
of yeah. spike protein loading with uh, injections every six months. I was on a seminar in Canada last night. They revealed they have five years uh, purchased for Canadians. I can tell you this is going to be a biological disaster on a major scale right now. And people in the mass formation psychosis, they are basically brainwashed now to go from injection to injection. Right. And so have you ever been able to turn on the switch for any public health official in any state, county, or maybe one of your colleagues? And you're just like, finally, because I think all of us are looking for that moment. I've only had it maybe once, but then you know it lasted for maybe a couple of days. And now they're you know back on the bandwagon of getting a booster. But how do you do it? And what is your strategy? And what did it feel like to turn somebody? No, I think a big part of, uh, of uh, turning the tables here is actually human interactions. One of the things that's happened through the pandemic is we're doing everything by WebEx now and right. remotely. And there's no, there's no kind of direct human interaction outside of trying to do through the computer like we're doing now. It's advantageous because we can get a lot of information out. We can actually be incredibly efficient. I think most of us can figure that out. But the problem is we're, we've lost that human factor. And so what we're doing yeah. is people in my circles through the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Right. Uh, American yeah. And I spoke into the chapter doctors, here. They yeah. And the Truth for Health Organization, the Frontline Critical Care Consortium, you know, what we're doing is we're actually having public seminars and we're, we're getting 500 to 5,000 people right. coming to seminars. We typically have a pre-program for physicians and for various uh, lawmakers in, in cities. We've had one in your city uh, in Phoenix. I had over 20 lawmakers. I gave a TED talk and yeah. went through I've like I've spoken to a few of them. I'm actually having lunch with uh, Representative Wilmoth today who, who was discussing it. So, um, and, and that's, But what they've learned is they've learned that doctors in my circles are reasonable, right. that we're reasonable doctors. We care about patients with COVID. We treat patients with COVID. We understand that the, the, the vaccines have risks and they have significant um, uh, uh, um, concerns regarding them. Uh, we can put that in context with the, uh, uh, the legacy benefits of the, of the vaccines. And importantly, uh, we're trustable right, because right. we're evidence-based. And I tell you, these seminars are incredibly popular. They're very impactful. Uh, and there's a major, what's called scientific reawakening in America. I was on TV Infowars with Alex Jones and he coined that term. There's a scientific reawakening. You know, the medical schools have provided no public seminars, neither have yeah. any of the major institutions. Uh, the public health service and the CDC have provided no public uh, yeah. forums for questions and answers. Yeah. The so, huge hospital systems here are just in bed with the universities who are, you know, getting you, money funneled you imagine, to them. This is this is the biggest health problem of our yeah. lifetime. It's the Super our, Bowl, like like you said on, on Tucker the, Carlson. So it's for the Super you, Bowl. Yeah. And our medical schools have, you know, they have auditoriums. They have a great public facilities. Our institutions have basically slammed the door yeah. on patients with COVID-19 and told them, listen, take the vaccine or die. And so the bottom line is uh, these public seminars are an awakening. Uh, you know, when I, I always get a show of hands and these are huge crowds now um, filling hotel ballrooms and major uh, arenas, I get a show of hands and probably a third to a half have already had COVID-19. So that matches the population statistics. Even the CDC acknowledges now 148 million people have had COVID-19. That was through May. We're probably at 200 million now. People are through it. They understand they can't get it again. Very few people are wearing masks in any one of these 
symposium. Yeah. The questions are, are very, very uh, intelligent and designed to help others. You know, how do you prevent COVID-19? We talk about the major sources of spread. We talk about oral nasal decontamination. This is the most important advance of, of how to wash the nose and mouth with virucidal solutions, uh, either dilute povidone iodine or hydrogen peroxide with mm -hmm. glucose iodine. This is enormously important now. We're cutting down transmission because we realize with Delta, it stays in the nose and mouth for about three to five days before it invades the body. So we can zap it on the spot. Yeah. Uh, we're yeah. going, we're going over and helping people interpret what's going on in professional sports. So for instance, we recently had Aaron Rodgers yes. who de declined the vaccine. He gets COVID-19. He does the right thing. He goes home. He doesn't spread it to anybody. He gets sequenced multi-drug therapy, just like I drew it up in my seminal publications last year for the world. He got exactly the McCullough protocol. He's over it in four days. He got the same thing that Joe Rogan did. In fact, yeah. him and Joe Rogan talked about it. Oh, that, and then that's have, the greatest part about this whole movement, you know, recently having them yeah, both come and, out. In fact, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Joe Rogan's been after me. I'm going to go down and go on a show in a few weeks. And, um, and, you know, then we had Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger took the vaccine. He was on November 5th telling everybody he did the right thing by taking the vaccine. So what happens a few weeks later, he gets COVID. He's in a, he's in a spread event with his father. His father gets COVID. And it's interesting, you know, Ben Roethlisberger uh, uh, got an abbreviated time out of um, the NFL. Right. He had to go back after two negative tests. And Aaron Rodgers had to spend 10 days out and pay $300,000 fine. So, so this whole idea of, Aaron Rodgers is actually penalized for doing the right thing. And Ben Roethlisberger, you know, took the vaccine, but it obviously failed him. I don't, I don't fault him for taking the vaccine, but the bottom line is you took a risk with it. And, uh, uh, and somehow he comes out of it, spreading it or being involved in a spreading event and still uh, somehow is viewed as doing the right thing. Right. So right. We, we have just this perverse thought pattern that's part of this uh, mass form formation psychosis. It does seem to be centered on the vaccines and uh, it doesn't have any rationality to it. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to break this mental cloud, this mental confusion. Uh, one by one, people are starting to wake up and realize I had a patient who um, had, had a prior bypass surgery, uh, took the uh, Pfizer one and two, was very concerned about getting COVID-19, took a booster early you know, pharmacists, even before the boosters were approved, were just giving people a little extra shot if they wanted yeah, one. Yeah, I heard about that. Really distorted. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's regulatory wise, it's illegal to do this. They yeah. weren't even Who, following. Who's the any... doctor? Also. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, now think about this. There are emergency use authorization. There are yeah. official regulations on the dispensing of an experimental gene transfer technology platform that clearly has risks, including death. And the pharmacies were paying no attention to what the dosing schedule is. So she got an extra shot. She goes on a trip. She comes back. She gets full-blown COVID, right? So she's been fully vaccinated and boosted. And she gets monoclonal antibodies. She gets all the sequence treatment. She gets through it. I saw her in the office. And then she basically asked me, Dr. McCullough, should I get another booster? And, you know, I just, Jeez. I was so flabbergasted. It's like addiction to uh, yes. getting like, uh, you know, enhancements yes. and, and your appearance. And right. people are just addicted. They're just addicted to something that obviously doesn't work. And so I, you know, I had another, yet another discussion, whatever. And I did get a nice text back later on and said, you know, Dr. McCall, I think I've been drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. I think yeah. people are starting to break through. I had recently, actually, I flew on a plane. I was on Southwest and, you know, you know, people kind of 
pick their, their own seats. Yeah. And so yeah. there was a woman between me and a man and the man was by the window and he looked pretty sick. He was kind of in a fetal position. And she started talking to me. She was looking at my slides. I was preparing for a lecture mm -hmm. and she, um, she asked me a question. Are you a COVID expert? And I said, well, you know, I, you know, I, my people ask for my opinions and I you know, do analyses and, and publish on the topic. And she goes, well, my husband over here, he just took the booster. He yeah. took Pfizer and he's curled one. up and <laughs> curled up. He feels terrible. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, you know, he kind of woke him up out of his stupor. And I said, well, how do you feel? He goes, oh my gosh. He goes, this is so much worse than shot one and shot two. It's even worse getting the booster. It makes sense. Because and then you ask him, are you going to get shot four? And he goes, well, absolutely. Yeah. Of course I would. Well, anyhow, <laughs> you know, we started talking that. about it and I talked to the wife about it. I, I showed them the slides. And then, you know, by the end of the plane flight, she looked at me, she looked straight in the eye. She goes, there's no way I'm taking a booster. Yeah, there's well, no way. See, because, I, yeah, go on. Sorry. You know, what I'm saying is even people who are vaccine proponents, when they see the data, it's so clear the vaccines don't work mm -hmm. and uh, they clearly are not safe. Well, and some of them do go back, even though they look you dead in the eye. I actually went to my grandmother's um, in Arizona. We have a little area called Sun City and that's where all the old people live. And uh, I had red pilled her and three of her girlfriends. She, after looking at all my information on my website, terrorofthewoods.com, um, she's like, let me call my girlfriends. So they come over because they all went and got the shot that, you know, together. And after that, you know, 30 minute uh, uh, presentation to them, they're like, we're not going to get it. Lo and behold, a couple weeks later, they went out and got, got the booster. So it's, you know, you think you got someone and then they just turn around. I, I am so blessed that I had left the Department of Health Services in 2019 because honestly, I might have been in line too. The director at the time was handing them out. You know, it, when flu comes around, you go through a line through the conference room and everybody gets a shot. I could have easily been in that line. So uh, everything that I've done in in my career and my experience, my education, I feel like has led me to this moment because I know how the rules are made. I know how the the law is made and how things can go politically left or right, all of that. And I'm trying to get people to understand so that they can go down and they can fight for their medical freedom because so much is being ignored. Like you said, I mean, the HIPAA violations are extreme when it comes to pharmacists and, and doctors. It, oh, there, there, there's no, actually, um, I recently had dinner with Scott Atlas, uh, who was in the White House task force. He was in the Trump administration for a few months. We spoke at a symposium together. He gave a great presentation. The term Scott uses in his uh, recent book he's released is off the rails. We're off the rails. Laws are not, not being followed right now. No, There's no. laws on HIPAA. They're the not EUA. being followed. It should the not EUA, have ever been given. We, we have alternative treatment. We know that. Right. right. So the, none of the laws are being followed. We're in a free fall. We're in a lawless free fall right now. And so the only thing that matters is the truth. Yes. And, and yes. the reason why, you know, people say, Dr. McCullough, are you afraid of people attacking you? I tell you, no one's actually ever directly talked to me about this issue and looked me in the eye. You know, in our circles is Steve Kirsch. Steve uh, is the uh, director of the COVID Early Treatment Fund. Now he's funding the Vaccine Injury Fund. Mm -hmm. And Steve has an open invitation. He, in fact, he's shopping around to every medical school, every federal agency, saying if you would just get in a roundtable discussion on vaccine safety and efficacy, he'll pay $2 million. No one will even discuss it. This mm -hmm. is part of the mass formation psychosis. Part of this means the people who are actually pushing the vaccines, they know they're wrong. They right, actually right. know it's wrong. They know it's safe, but it's at some deep 
um, kind of a brainstem or midbrain level. It, it, it's not at the surface of their consciousness, but they know they can't discuss it. You know, right. People who, who attack me, uh, they know they can only do it by a letter or email. They could actually never get in discussion with me. Uh, they have this, this kind of shameful look on their face. They, they know it's wrong. They know they're hurting people right. by right. taking the stance on the vaccine. Yeah. You know, by the way, yeah. by the way, no one knows these. No, no one wants these mandates. I recently had somebody in my circles who was a member of a board of an institution that had a vaccine mandate, and he goes, "Yeah, aren't they crazy?" I go, "Well, listen, you're on the board. I mean, don't you know? You know, why don't you? Why don't you tell me what the decision making is to get to get take the, do a mandate?" Yeah. And he couldn't artic he couldn't articulate who and what process was taken to come up with a vaccine mandate. It's almost as if these mandate vaccine mandates came from the clouds down under these organizations. Oh, he they couldn't did. Even he couldn't even tell me. Yeah. So even within these organizations, when people complain about vaccine mandates, I'll say, listen, who made the decision? Why don't you communicate? And nobody can figure out who, who decided. I know. Well, and I, I, I've been getting so many calls from people that I know from the past, people that just knew that I was in politics and uh, worked at the Department of Health, calling me, asking me, like, what, what can I do? What are my rights? My company wants to force me to get a vaccine. I'm like, you have to know the law and that there is no approved vaccine in America right now. The the letter. Even, listen, even if it was approved, right. even if it was approved, this idea of mandating a vaccine that is not sufficiently effective. Still in a clinical trial. It's it's not sufficiently safe. Even if it was still approved, you know, even if it was an approved product, you know, here's the interesting thing. If it was an approved product, uh, if these were all approved, the vaccine manufacturers would have to sell them. Uh, insurance companies would have to improve them. People would have to buy them. They'd actually have to provide a package insert with the full safety information. I have two of them, a Johnson and Johnson and a Moderna that I got from a pharmacist completely blank. I mean, I, right. I saw the viral videos. I'm like, there's no way, but yeah. But think about these, if these were approved, they still would have to be voluntary. Right. So believe it or not, the fact that they're emergency use authorized enables all these mandates. I, I'd yeah. rather have them approved. In fact, if, if they were approved right now, I can tell you they'd all be sued off the market for having an unfair package label. Do you know so far the FDA has not considered any of the VAERS data? So they're looking at these very short-term clinical trials with these relatively purified populations, and they're declaring the vaccine safe for right. the EUA designation. And so experts like myself, and we've had experts at all of the um, FDA meetings where there's uh, uh, external panelists, Dr. Wiseman, uh, Steve Kirsch, um, uh, uh, a whole variety of Paul Alexander, a whole variety of experts uh, out there. Many of the, the, uh, the media commentators uh, are expert presenters. And, uh, and the FDA does not dispute the analyses. The two analyses they do not dispute is young people, Tracy Hogue has shown that a young person is more likely to be hospitalized with myocarditis than actually be hospitalized right, with COVID-19 right. and respiratory illness. And then the killer analysis is Ron Kostoff. This is published in Toxicology Reports. At any age, one is- Oh no. Respiratory illness. There and the are. reason being, you know, the reason being is because of determinism. Meaning when you take the vaccine is a 100% chance that it's in your body, you can't get it out. But if you take your chances with COVID, 
you may not get COVID. In fact, if you do good on oral nasal hygiene, you can almost uh, prevent it completely. So the bottom line is if you don't take the vaccine, you have a greater chance of survival. And you know, when this has been presented and you look at the meeting minutes, the FDA and the CDC has not disputed these analyses. This is part right. of the mass formation saying. psychosis. It's all, that, I, everything I have on my website is connected to a CDC or an FDA or a congressional law research paper. I, that, that's why I created the website, because you go to some of these blogs and, yeah, they're pumping out this information, but they don't show you why. And I feel like people need to know the why so that they can fight for it, too. So I, I try to break it down very easily. And the other thing is you have the president of the United States coming out. What was it? August, September, saying that now that it's been approved and it's fully licensed, you all you have nothing else to say. You need to go out and get vaccinated. Yeah, but, but it I, isn't. That's yeah, but- scary. Right. So it was a false talking point that um, August 23rd meeting, uh, Pfizer was not approved. Uh, what happened was right. BioNTech right. Got, got a biological licensing agreement, a BLA. Yeah. And what, what, yeah. what BioNTech got was basically a, um, you know, an agreement that says you got to produce a package insert. You got to have all these. Uh, when you're ready, on, it, it, it can go the, forward. But as right, of right also, now, yeah. Also yeah. post-marketing studies on myocarditis. So Bob. Uh, BioNTech is nowhere to be seen. It's not commercially available in the United States. Pfizer was not approved. It got a continuation of the EUA. You know, that false talking point went all the way up to the president of the United States. And there was never a correction. There was I never. Know, a, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. How so many people is, went out and got the vaccines? And they're like, well, I guess he's right. I, I've been telling all of my coworkers not until it's approved. But now that it's been approved, I need to, you know, go out. No, otherwise, but what, it, what it did is it triggered a lot more ill-advised mandates. And the mandates, again, shouldn't be levered on it's approved or not. You'll know when it's approved. You know why? Because it'll be sued off the market. Right. It'll be, this will be sued off the market. You'll know when they're approved. Yeah, exactly. So, it's it's so, so it's, unbelievable that people, I mean, people that hated big tech and big pharma two years ago were the first ones in line. And even saying that to some of the people that, you know, friends of mine I've had for 20 years um, who were upset about, you know, the high prices of pharmaceuticals in, in the country, they... They're like, just blank. Like you said, <laughs> where'd you go? Where did you go? Um, you know, when, when you're faced, confronted with information that is against your narrative, it's in my nature to be like, okay, well, let me let me think about that more. Can you provide some information? I'd really like to know more. It's instinctual. I want to know the truth. And I think that's why you've been so successful with these conferences and events. People not just only want to know the truth about COVID, they just want somebody to tell them the truth for a change. Not the, the uh, mainstream media telling them what they want on whatever channel they go to. You you can find an attorney to tell you whatever they want, whatever you want to, to pay them. Um, you know, people just want the truth. They're tired of this rigmarole, and it is actually uh, it, it propelled people to do their own research. And it's really easy to do. I'm not a medical expert. I have a lot of experience in public health, but it doesn't take that much. I mean, it's all on their websites. Well, I can tell you, you're exactly right. Everything's in the open here. There's no hidden. There's no hidden information. Uh, uh, in uh, another frequent contributor to Fox News is Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford. And one of his most frequent comments he makes on national TV is how we've lost trust in our public health agencies and our legal system. And I can tell you, I'm one of 30 named experts in a lawsuit uh, uh, filed by lead attorney Aaron Siri. Uh, to the FDA to release the Pfizer dossier, its regulatory dossier on its development program. We want to see the Pfizer data yeah. and what Pfizer knows about their vaccines. 
And, and didn't they put a hold on it for like, or they're requesting a hold of like 55 years? So <laughs> shockingly, shockingly, the, believe it or not, the FDA, the FDA went to the federal judge and said, uh, uh, we want to be able to hold this in secrecy and release it in 2076. Now it's 390 pages plus of uh, data. And I can tell you, I, I chair day safety monitoring boards. We get safety reports at 14,000 pages at a time. So we can handle the page count. But I, what I can't handle is the time frame. I'm not yeah. going to live that long. Right. The panel is all going to be deceased by the time they release the data. So, so there's no surprise that the public has zero trust in the FDA and the vaccine manufacturers. If they want to conceal things, for over 50 years, everyone's asking, what do they have to hide? Right. What are they hiding in these gene transfer technology platforms, which they want people to take every six months without question? And they want to link your job and your survival. And your social to credit genes. score and everything to it. It's it's really amazing. Things that people were talking about as conspiracy theorists just a couple years ago. It's it's so out. I'm running out of conspiracy theories, you know, um, you know, but you, like you say, you can't make these make make this up. You can just go to no. the CDC website and just, you know, the conspiracy theories can just spawn from there. Yeah. The best yeah. course of action, anybody listening to this who's in a position of authority, the best thing is transparency. Just get out there in a transparent manner. Look what Senator Johnson's doing. Right. He's very transparent. He's having people vaccine injured come on. They're telling their stories. They're telling America what's happening. There was a doctor on orthopedic surgeon from Minnesota. He has transverse myelitis after receiving the vaccine. He's telling a story. We need, we need basically transparent information on safety. And everybody taking the vaccine at this point in time is, is largely doing it against their will. They're doing it for social reasons. We're coming to this incredible breaking point here. We're in the most labor constrained markets uh, in the history and people are coming to the precipice, losing their job. I have to tell you a nice story. I went to Independence, Kansas and did a uh, basically did a, an entire seminar for lawmakers. We had probably three dozen lawmakers across Kansas oh, wow. and then went into a big evening public program. A nurse came up to me and said, Dr. McCullough, I got to tell you my story. Uh, they had a vaccine mandate. She goes, I already had COVID. I know I don't need the vaccine. So I didn't take the vaccine and I lost my job as a nurse on Tuesday. And I said, gosh, this is terrible. She goes, but you know what happened? They called me on Thursday and asked me if I could cover the night shift. I said, wait a minute. I, I thought there was a vaccine mandate. Is it and triple goes, the pay? And, and so I, I said, what happened? They said, well, that for me, they were going to go ahead and waive the mandate. So I'm just telling you right now, the mandates are a game of chicken. Yes. This yes. is basically a giant show of who's going to knuckle under first. No one can afford to lose these workers. If no. people basically show some backbone, uh, uh, you're going to see these, uh, these terminations are all going to be choreography. People are going to be back in jobs. Um, nobody can lose workers right now. That's yeah. the thing is our, our labor market. That is, is our too only tool as Americans right now. And like you said, this is your Super Bowl. Well, the political side and the fight with the laws and the rules and getting that information to people, that's my Super Bowl. I feel like this is my moment where I can really inform people on the process. And I've created a law of the land card and it looks like a vaccine card. Um, but it has the Civil Rights Act and the the titles and the codes, you know, uh, the uh, Americans with disability and how it all falls together. And on the other side, it has the actual language and case law. Um, there's actually some case law that was interesting 
a nurse was about to be fired because she wasn't going to get a MMR, one of the ones that you have to get when you're a, a practitioner. And uh, the hospital was going to fire her. She said she had anxiety for getting a shot. And they did not provide her an accommodation. And she won just for anxiety. So there's there's so much case law out there. And But the number one thing is Marbury versus Madison. Anything that's repugnant to the Constitution is null and void. People really need to understand that. And we need to go back to Civics 101. And so that that's my Super Bowl. My Super Bowl is watching the, the legislative floor or, you know, what's happening in Congress. Yours is out there in, in the public health sector. And I, I know I, I've seen it before. It's it's great to watch public health people really well, get passionate about well, it. Well, let me let me say that uh, that uh, in closing, because we're going to finish the interview now that, um, I, you know, I don't have confidence in fairness in the courts. I think the judges uh, in the courts right now, they're under the same hypnosis. They're in the same trance. Uh, they're in this mass formation psychosis. You know, there's no jury trials, so we're just down to bench trials. So I don't think there's any fairness in the courts. I think this is basically the court of public opinion. Yes. And the people, yes. this is going to be the most interesting thing. The people are going to decide when enough is enough. And right now they're seeking the truth. We know we have the truth. So the other side can't touch us. They can't even sit down at a table with us, not even for $2 million because they know. Well, because they don't the other the side truth. is paying them $3 million, <laughs> but um, it, it, it could be, it yeah. could be, honestly, it could yeah. be just all the money in the world. They actually know they're wrong and they're doing wrong things to take money. But I don't yeah. think people are that bad. I don't no. think they're that they're it's not that conscious. This group is group think, uniform. group think too. No, it's group think. It's psychosis. Honestly, yeah. I don't think yeah. they're being paid off because you'd hear chatter. Yeah. No, these yeah. people are in a mental trance. The question is, how long would it last? You know, with Nazism, it lasted for many years before they came out of the trance, and they were horrified with what they did. Yeah, we'll see what happens yeah. here. I'll let that be the last word. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And if you could provide your website again, I want to make sure everybody can get to it. Yeah, you can follow me at America Out Loud Talk Radio, The McCullough Report. Okay, great. Thank you so much. We hope to have you back soon um, and keep fighting for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, doctor. And remember, every question is a great question. Mm-hmm.